that is quite a cool thing, eh? And we can explore that around albums that first listen, you went, oh man, that sucked. And then, yeah. oh my gosh, why did it suck so bad? And it didn't suck eventually. You're like, oh, I got that totally wrong. Um, well, I, love, and, and, I love an album that grows on you quick, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. yeah. Yeah. It's nice to have an album that sort of smacks you one, but one that kind yeah. of you think, oh, I'll just go back to that. Smacks you, you, know, smacks you in a kind of week. Will Smith kind of way. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh too soon? No. <laughs> It was so funny in bed. Music! Movies! Madness! Alright, good to see you guys. Welcome to 1967. How have you guys been? Uh, excellent. What a, what a year. What a year. I have a, feeling, I have a feeling that we'll end up having to revisit this year. Um, because of its influence amongst other things and just the sheer number of really cool records that came out that year well they came out they either came out or they were made in that year and came out the following year right yeah 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 there were quite a few good um and you know we, if we get to 1968 you know um odyssey and oracle is one of them from the zombies yes. i love that record, I, I, I Great record. When I, yeah when i saw that come up in my notes, I thought, why isn't Martin picked that one? <laughs> because it's not that year. Wrong it's not year. that year, right? But you were I was itching to pick that record. Yeah. <laughs> no, it wasn't to be. you just picked that up recently at the Yeah, I just uh I just, literally it was my birthday last week and um my my wife uh picked picked that up for me. Had a copy yeah. of Sergeant Pepper, which I've been after on vinyl, and it's just been like hen's teeth to try and get hold of a copy. And in the, the copy that you got, was that the the stereo reissue from a couple of years ago? Yeah, the 50th anniversary one. And, uh, yeah, that stereo mix is a revelation. It's yeah, fantastic. It's, it's pretty special. That, that's my problem. I've got the stereo from 1967 because it's from 1967, but it's basically voices on one channel, mm -hmm. everything, everything else on the other. Mm -hmm. So I haven't, bought, I couldn't bring myself to go and buy the Remax stereo because they're quite expensive, and I've got a stereo version. But I, I heard that it is actually quite remarkable what he's done with it. It was Giles, yeah. Mar wasn't it Giles? Martin? Yeah, Giles. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The work that him and his team are doing is stunning. Um, yeah. So from on that particular one, you're right, David. I I've got an old copy of the CD. In fact, that was the first CD that we had in our house, actually. Mm. Um, and then we had, I've got this, the mono mix from the mono box. And, but I heard stereo mix on Spotify and it was like, holy shit. Then I cranked it and it was so mm. damn good. It reminds me of the mono mix, but just punchy and really contemporary. So, I don't know, but I think they did it justice personally. I think it's a fabulous mix. Nice. What nice. stood out for me was the orchestration as well. Just, just how clear it sounds like it was recorded, you know, on like a, a 48 channel desk or something. It's, it's mm -hmm. amazing how much separation they've got between the instruments on it. It's, and, it's and, and the, and the bass, man, that bass is just front and center. Um, absolutely astoundingly good. Well, you guys are, you're stealing my thunder. 
That's my album. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> okay. It's all right. You haven't even you haven't done even done the intro yet. Yeah. Done my job for me. No, I haven't. I got oh, totally, totally all right. Well, Go, must, David. Get into well, it. Well, Come on, organize us. Welcome, listeners, to our podcast, uh, Music, Movies, and Madness. Um, we're a Kiwi podcast where we pick a year and uh, discuss some of our favorite movies and musics, music from that period. Um, Glenn Thurston, what comes into your mind when you think of 1967? Well, um, um, Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Yeah, no surprises. <laughs> no, no, I didn't expect to Actually, be. has, a, has some why, why did you? Why did you even ask? Yeah, I know, I know. I'll get to them because they kind of have a little bit of relevance to um, to Sergeant Pepper's, mm. um, which we'll get to. But uh, Martin, what are you? What comes uh, to your mind? You think? I've I've really enjoyed like researching for this week. Just listening, it's been a real <laughs> voyage of discovery for me, going through so many albums from that year. Um, my favourite find of the week was uh, the eponymous album from the Electric Prunes. Oh, uh, yeah. That's a good. great name for the band. But yeah, they, yeah, it's yeah. like a psychedelic band made up of vampires. It's the most mm, trippy, mm. weird concept. It's, there's a lot of electronica in it. It's like lots of like, whooshy sound effects and ring modulators and all kinds of filters and stuff going off in it. Um, and quite, it's got a kind of eerie, slightly creepy feel to it, but it's a, it's a cool, really cool album. Um, you know, listening to, obviously listening to the Beatles this week, listening to, um, what else have I played this week? The Birds, Donovan. I was trying mm. a bit of Mellow Yellow this week, which is <laughs> a really cool, poppy album. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a, a, it's such a year. It's, it was actually, it was really hard to choose this one, yeah. yeah I oh, agreed, agreed. As I said, I think we'll have to revisit it in some parts. Mm. Um, and it was such a short period of time, um, that whole psychedelic swinging London scene, which obviously I'm quite drawn to, um, but actually it was very, very short. Well, it was um, the, so the Summer of Love is a lot of, a lot, you know, a lot of people reference 1967 as that sort of beginning of the summer of love, which started around, well, I guess it's Northern Hemisphere and started in the States. So kind of around probably June, July. Um, and Peppers was released in about May. So it was, you know, primed for that, that whole um, social phenomenon um, during 67. But um you know, just looking at what happened in '67, big year for um, for New Zealand, actually, uh, closer to home. Um, not quite, not quite as exciting as Beatles, no, Sergeant no. Pepper, but we moved to the decimal currency, fellas. Oh yeah, decimal day. Do, do you no. remember that? <laughs> no, but I've benefited from it. Yeah, we probably have. Yeah. Well, actually, this one Glenn, might be a bit more dear to your heart. Denny Hume, do you know who he is? Oh, Denny Hume, man. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, world, champ takes... world champion that world year. World champion that year. Driving from Tipoki. Uh, was he driving for? Cooper. Yeah, he was driving for Cooper, if I remember. Cooper Bra Brabham. Well, no, no, Cooper. Brabham. That's Brabham. right. Oh, my gosh. Brabham team. Yeah, man. He, he took third place at Mexico Grand Prix in October and in doing so took the F1 championship. 
Yeah. Right. Epic game. Yeah, Only New Zealand to do it. From Tipuki. Yeah. And at a time that it was just every everyone romances about the golden years of Formula One and stuff like that, but they particularly around that time. Mm. And I know exactly the film I'll pack for 1966. But it was just so dangerous. People died every week almost. It was yeah. no wonder pe people were tuning in in massive numbers and going to it because it was kind of like watching a death sport at that time. Proper carp. But yeah. yeah. Some of the, the old clips on YouTube oh, and it just looks it's like. so scary. Yeah, it's pretty dangerous stuff. Um, maybe, maybe to do with the end of the six o'clock swill. Chaps, <laughs> that happened in 1967 too. Oh, did it? Before our time, yeah. So that was the whole prohibition thing that came out after World War One, I, I think. And basically, you couldn't get a pint of beer after six o'clock. So you basically, you, you, um, what is it? You binge drink yourself into a, a semi coma <laughs> by six o'clock, so that you know you had your, you had your full and, and then went home and. Yeah, I was going to say, we won't talk about the rest, but, but yeah, so, probably, yeah, so that came to an end in 67, so. Oh, yeah. but wait, we have a reminder from it. Binge drinking continues on oh, and yeah. continues on. Our habit with alcohol is so bad. I can't talk because I did my fair share of it. A lot of the time with David. <laughs> I'm it not going there. No, we are going to no. move on. Oh, um, no. What else happened? So, okay, further afield, guys. Check <laughs> oh, this out. What? The first successful human-to-human -human heart transplant was That's in epic. Mm. It's awesome. Big tick for medicine there. And first, uh, no, this one's a bit creepy. First cryogenically frozen man was frozen in 1967, and he's still in the freezer. That's awesome. <laughs> really? He's still in the freezer. Um, he's a doctor, but I think he's a psychiatric doctor of some sort. And he, grief. he, um, he Dr. Evil. Doctor Evil. It's a bit creepy, isn't it? Yeah. Um, like What's the expiry talk? date on a human in the fridge? Yeah. I don't know, but it's about 160, don't quote me on this, 160-ish degrees below zero centigrade yeah. um, to, to do that, to achieve that. And he... Uh, it's all online. You can see it online why he did it. But they did a. Um, I don't think they thawed him, but they kind of they kind of did some tests a couple of years ago now uh, to see the state of his tissue. And remarkably, um, he's held up quite well. So, who knows? That, that is so creepy. That is creepy. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, because you kind of wonder what that might be. You see your fridge, and you get your instruction book with it and there's always that bit to tell you how long you should put things in the fridge for a bit of meat lasts for what, a year or so and i'm like what's the human um yeah. expiry date <laughs> yeah how do you how do you thaw them out is it like you know slow defrost or <laughs> i don't know <laughs> is it, is yeah. was he was he was he dead when he got thawed? Yeah, when he yes, yeah, no, no he was he okay was. he was he didn't like <laughs> volunteer <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That would be pretty that weird. Up images of um, oh, um, Han Solo and Carbonite. <laughs> yeah, he didn't volunteer either. No, no. But back to our topic, chaps. Right. So Thank let's. Here's, here's one for you. So, I think we all agree. So many good songs. So many good albums from this period. 
1967, mm. what do you think was what what song do you think held the number one? Oh, I know. Uh, do you? For the longest? Oh, yeah. Long it was five weeks. What oh, song? Yeah, I know. It may be, if I'm right, it could be this. Engelbert Humperdinck of great songs plus release me. Because <laughs> that's not the great song. I have, no, I I think, <laughs> Martin, would you like to have a go? It um, could be that, release me. I've got a funny feeling it might actually be a song on the album that I've chosen, which was, uh, and I think the song is Quite a Shade of Pale. Quite a Shade of Pale, yeah. No. Wow. No, it wasn't quite a shade about great song, absolutely amazing song, but no, and it wasn't a Beatles song. No, mm. and which country was it? Is the question. This is, oh, well, so this is the New Zealand charts, right? But I think, oh, right. I, think this oh, also I couldn't find any to, New Zealand charts. This was, was this looking... would also relate to the American charts. I'm not so much sure about the UK because mm. it's an American band. No others? No other? No. The monkeys. I'm a believer. Oh, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And who, and, and points for who wrote it? Neil oh, Diamond. Uh, yes. Neil Diamond, on. Points go to Martin. And actually, I think the monkeys also, um, their album, uh, what was it called? Um, they had uh, two albums that year, I think. From, yeah, well, from where that single comes from was was number one in the uk immediately before just before getting knocked off that their perch by sergeant peppers mm. um yeah so i think i'm just trying to think who it was it was, it was something like um with the word monkeys and i can't remember now but so oh, actually they had three albums that year they had they? more of the monkeys <laughs> Headquarters, and yeah, then Pisces, Aquarius, and Jones. Not more the monkeys. It was more the monkeys. I'm pretty sure. I'm a believer's from from there. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Right, fellas, should we get three crack into it? Um, I think we're going to kick off with m- movies from this period. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hand it over to any mini mini mo Glenn. Okay. Right. I've chosen um, a movie called Don't Look Back. And it's a 1967 American documentary directed by D.A. Pennybaker um, that covers Bob Dylan's 1965 concert tour of um, England. And it is a fascinating glimpse of what 1965 looked like, um, particularly um, in England. You know, let's be fair, it looked a bit bleak. England isn't particularly pretty. Everyone goes on about the London thing, but England was pretty damn bleak at, at, in places. Um, and for me, it really was an interesting film because you get that glimpse of what Dylan, the sort of the pop star, rock star, was at the time. This young fella who was really wanting to cut loose and try something completely different by ditching um, the what was he, the voice of his generation, Mm -hmm. poet, um, folk singer, and then he strapped on an electric guitar and (laughs) 
caused it havoc. <laughs> Looking back on it now, you don't really think of it as havoc at all. I mean, but the film is extraordinary because you've got people in the audience yelling out Judas to him yeah. um, when he starts playing with his band. And the band themselves actually became the band. Um, so it, it's pretty impressive to watch. And he's so cocky and confident. Um, it's it's pretty cool. And I think it sets kind of the scene in a way of what a alternative pop star rock star could look like and be like um it's also the the great film where you had the opening of the film where dylan's got those cards those cue cards and it's been used so many times um and it's got all of the subterranean uh, homesick blues on it so it's it's really got so many of my favorite sort of dylan songs around that time um, and it was hugely influential, him coming to Britain on the Beatles particularly, yeah. um, and had such a massive influence on their singing. Um, um, and, you know, John Lennon basically started singing almost Dylan-esque, uh, and then everybody had the sort of obligatory Hendrix, uh, not Hendrix perm, although that did come as well, but sort of that look, um, yeah, just really super influential around um on what on what you know arguably on what 67 became mm. um and yeah so was that it? was my choice I, I really do recommend having a look at it there was a good um oh, re-release of it i think about 2009 and that's when i found it anyway yeah. Um, was it was yeah. it originally a, a theatrical release or was it uh yeah, it was. Yeah. It was yeah. Oh. yeah. I didn't know that. I thought it was initially a um a reissue, but um no, it was I was looking through the list and went, wow, it actually came out that year in May. So again, all those songs from that time um mm. again would have been equally as influential again in sixty seven. Yeah. By that stage, I think he was in a completely different place after his motorbike accident. Um, so yeah, it was. It's a glimpse at that very short period of time. Brilliant! If you haven't seen it, highly, highly recommend What's it. Called again? Uh, don't look back, don't and look I think back. that's perfect for um, the the subject. You know, but Dylan is forging ahead in a new direction, yeah. and he isn't looking back. He is ditching that persona of the um oh what's it called sort of traveling troubadour type mm. folk singer and stuff like that and mm. really just trying to get himself well away from i don't know the expectation put on him which really when you look at it was pretty unfair um yeah it's kind of like a big f to um, the sort of the music establishment and stuff like that. It's quite cool. Have you seen it, some, David? Some, no, I haven't, no. Um, fits in well with the counterculture movement that was happening about oh, then. Big and, time, big so time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, you also get to see Joan, Joan Baez in it. Um, and they're just so young. You kind of think of them as these old people even then. They are young. Not. They young. are all young. And they, to see they, that Donovan's in there. Um, yeah. 
yeah i'll have to, i'd love to go back and find it again to to watch it because yeah. it, it was so good it's kind of an interesting point that because when you think you know certainly that period so many of them were probably what barely in their 20s and mm-hmm. yeah that whole movement came from from that generation and yet for us now you know when we tend to think of like people from sort of like you know, from, the, from the 80s etc tended to be a little bit older before they kind of got to that kind of to, to any kind of influential level anyway you mm. know it's um it's really interesting how how much that youth movement you know coming probably from the rock and roll thing in the 50s really just kind of that wave just kept going really into the 60s that way I, yeah looking at it i don't think it did i think it dipped off something massive and then right. there was this gap and then it came back again through that sort of next wave of um because it was all sort of teen pop idols and stuff like that right um and that sort of patch and then you got this explosion again with dylan and the beatles and and others that sort of you know kicked it kicked it up a gear again elvis had well and truly left um influence at that point too so yeah it was uh i watched this really funny i got recommended this by a friend um it was all the number ones from 1950 through to offer oh, a whole decade on the 60s and they played all the number ones i think it was uk ones right. and to see that drop off from 19 you know around that time was fascinating and then just the smashing dominance of the beatles and all these other acts that followed it was awesome there was a lot of bubblegum i kind of call it bubblegum pop in the early especially before sort of 63 64 likes of bobby v um dion mm-hmm, mm-hmm. these guys yeah. they were they were uh they were they were successful because that's pretty much all that was being made at the time and and then you had the beatles come on the scene right and it, they just leveled everyone up basically it forced it, it, you know it forced um musicians to and then of course 67 comes around i'll get this to and Peppers, Sergeant Peppers comes out and pop becomes an art. You know, they kind of basically take it from something that was very much just, um, you know, for, for kids and then sort of turned into something that could be an art form. Um, and people took seriously and, you know, studied it and it became critical, you know. And, and But as John Lennon <laughs> said at the time or later, Pepper worked because we said it worked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 he, he was not a, not a big fan of it. Oh, well, all roads are leading to Pepper, aren't they? Every well, no, no. Well. Yes and no. Oh, yeah. yeah, they are. That's the second half, guys. It's a flawed album. All right. Thank you, Glenn, for that very, very yeah, interesting <laughs> review on... Um, on uh, Dylan, what was the movie called again for the third time? Don't don't look back, David. Don't look back. Yes. No, no, that's brilliant. Nice one, mm. righty So, Martin, must be your turn. Righto. Okay, so I've gone with um, a movie that was a certainly, a, if not a perennial favourite, was it was a movie that came out used used to be every Christmas or around about, and it's always a choice of two. It was either this movie or The Great Escape would come on to or could be on a Christmas TV. Because there's nothing like a good war movie to say Christmas, really, you know. Yeah, we, uh, ne- we never had that. We had Sound of Music. Yeah. Sound of yeah. Music. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Sound of Music. What's not and to love about that? Nah. Yes. Variety performance. Variety yeah. performance. 
What's not to love about Nazis and nuns, man? Well, yeah. <laughs> so the movie I've chosen is The Dirty Dozen. Oh, cool. Um, and, um, yeah, it's it's one of those movies that, you know, it kind of it's, it's definitely had, like, a knock-on effect in the industry, and it's still kind of reverberating now, even with things like The Avengers, you know, this idea of, like, a team-up movie, you know, and uh, or Ocean's Eleven, or those kind of movies where you literally got an all-star cast and just uh, kind of unleashed havoc, really, with it. Um, and this movie, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's based in World War II. Uh, cast includes the likes of Lee Marvin, uh, Ernest Borgnine, Charles Bronson, um, George Kennedy, Teddy Savalas, and Donald Sutherland, a very young Donald Sutherland. Mm. Um, and uh, it was directed by Robert Aldrich, who I don't really know a lot of his work, but he went on to direct films like The Longest Yard with, um, I think it was Burt Reynolds. Um, so he kind of stayed in this kind of slightly gritty anti-hero kind of vein through like the action movies that he made. Um, so the plot of the movie basically was, um, the idea is, uh, the army, um, basically sends through, um, an order to a major played by, um, Lee Marvin that is to assemble a group of 12 convicts all, um, facing the likes of either a hanging or a life sentence, uh, or 30 years hard labor as they keep kind yeah. of like mentioning throughout the film. Um, um, and the idea is that any prisoners that survive the mission will be pardoned for their crimes, which it sounds kind of a little bit dubious to start with, you know, as an idea. Um, yeah. and it is a little like that. There are parts of this movie where you do kind of question the morality of it because it, it lacks it severely in places. Um, so they go, they basically have, uh, six weeks to train them. Yeah. Uh, and it's a six-month training course, but they squeeze it into six weeks, including learning how to parachute behind enemy lines. Um, and um, the, the goal of the mis mission is they find out that there's a, a chateau in France where all the high-ranking German officers are basically having a bit of a shindig every weekend and just uh, drinking it up and having it large. Um, and the, the plan is basically to disrupt the chain of command um, by uh, assassinating as many of them as they possibly can um, at this at this party um, but um yeah it, it just um the performances are what carry it uh, lee marvin is is such a badass as <laughs> the major really is just a mean piece so of work that film. he's uh, awesome brilliant um and there's some really good um, supporting roles, as I say, like Telly Savalas plays a very unhinged, very uh, kind of disturbed religious, uh, um, I believe it's actually a rapist as well from, from memory. Um, and it's, um, yeah, very, very kind of challenging role. Um, but um, there's, yeah, it's just, um, it's kind of whip smart. There's some very cool lines in it some very quotable lines really um and um it just it moves at a quite a pace as well it's a long film it's about two and a half hours um oh, but it seems cool <laughs> yeah and in fact like you know the, the mission doesn't really kick in until the last half hour of the movie um everything is kind of like leading up to that and um it's um 
yeah, it does. It does seem to move at a pace. I think it's the editing, um, yeah. and just the storyline behind it. But um, yeah, it, it, as I say, it's a movie that I kind of remember very well from probably early teens. Yeah. Um, but I haven't actually seen it for probably over twenty years, easy. Um, so going back to it today was kind of cool because there were bits that I did remember and bits I definitely didn't remember. I definitely didn't remember the morality thing being quite so kind Time's of changed. challenging. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. I've moved on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I'd rate it. Well worth a watch if it's on. Yeah. If you get the chance to see it, it really does definitely worth a go. Yeah. Nice. There's a lot of similarities, I think, to the one I'm going to talk about, Bonnie and Clyde. Mm. So, um, yeah. for a film made in 67, it's incredibly, it holds up really well in terms of the pacing. A bit like the Dirty Dozen, by the sounds of thing. Um, mm. And again, it's got an all-star cast, right? So, Bonnie and Clyde, down in 67, it's got Faye Dunaway, Bonnie. Um, it's got Warren Beatty as Clyde. You've got Gene, Gene Hackman, a very young Gene Hackman, and a very young even younger Gene Wilder. Wow. Um, Don't remember uh, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gene Wilder, he's the, he's the, um, they, they pick him and his partner, fiance, up in the middle of the night. Um, and they basically go on a bender drinking in the car as they're driving along and smoking and drinking and smoking and drinking until, until they ask him, they ask Gene Wilder's character, what do you do for a living? And he says, I'm an undertaker. <laughs> and they just, and they ditch him. Bonnie basically says, pull, pull over. They, they boot them out of the car. It's, it's quite, it's, it's actually a bit of a um, comedy, is, you know, it's a drama comedy kind of um, gig. So, which I wasn't expecting, but it was, um, it was very much welcomed. Uh, I mean, it's the first time I've seen it. Have you, either of you guys seen this? Yeah, but no, again, not, not for a very, very long time. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, like I said, it's well it's well written, well acted, and very fast-paced. Uh, and there's some great scenes in it. Like, uh, there's a scene where, um, and do we all know the plot of Bonnie and Clyde? So mm -hmm. yep. Bonnie and Clyde, yep. um, I think it's the early 30s. So it's set in the early 30s, about 1931, um, just going into the Great Depression. Clyde gets out of jail for some minor sort of, robberies i think he, he was doing serving time for hooks up with bonnie and basically just drives around robbing robbing banks um petty so, well petty sort of robberies to begin with and they get more sick it's more serious when he starts shooting at people and um and and taking lives and that but there is one scene which is just brilliant where they early on the piece they're robbing a grocery store because they're hungry uh and they run out they've spent all their money they're robbing a, a grocery store clyde walks in Bonnie's in the car waiting. He rock he, and and you sort of see him with his two with his arms full of groceries and that. And then he smells the peach pies in the oven, and he's like, "I gotta have those peach pies." Chuck them in, and so the the guy's trying to get the peach pies out uh, of the oven, put them in the bags. In the meantime, the butcher comes across with the big cleaver and starts swinging at Clyde, who's like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna die here!" Drops all the groceries and tries to, you know. You know, leg it out of the store, finally makes it to the car where Bonnie's like, what's going on? And he's like, the guy tried to kill me. The guy tried to kill me. I was just trying to, I wasn't going to hurt anyone. 
It's just, and yeah, it's that sort of slapstick comedy. As soon as you see that, that, that was quite early on. You know that this is quite going to be quite a fun movie. Um, and Clyde really is a bit of a. Uh, he comes across as a bit of a loser, uh, sort of the anti-criminal, anti-hero sort of person. Oh, um, and Bonnie's, Bonnie's the one. That, yeah, well, Bonnie's the one that she's got the smarts. Um, but you know, brilliant one-liners. Like pretty much every everywhere they rock on up to. She introduces herself as my name's Bonnie. I rob banks. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a shut up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, has it has it ever been remade? Because I don't know if it has. I'm it sounds like a you know sure. with Hollywood they always remake everything. But it is so. So we had a bit of a um, a street get together last yesterday. We have a street barbecue once a year, and we had some drinks. And um, none of the neighbours are well into their 70s, if not 80s. And I just mentioned this. I said, oh, you seen Bonnie and Clyde? You remember Bonnie and Clyde from 67? I just dropped that in the conversation casually. And they do. And it's classic. They love it. They, I mean, it pretty much made Faye Dunaway's, um, you know, career. It launched her into the spotlight immediately. Um, you know, she was pretty much, a, you know, nobody before this. So great movie. Great flick. Definitely recommend it if you haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll go and see if I can find it. Sounds funny. You get, see, you get to see some of those, you know, Warren Beatty and some of the some of the greats, uh, you know, early in their in their career. And um, it's going to say that Gene, yeah. Gene Hackman's always worth a watch. Like anything yeah, that Gene Hackman's is he's, worth a watch. So he's the brother. He's he's um he plays um Clyde's brother, um the smarter one. Clyde's kind of the naive, lovable one that um hooks up with Bonnie, who's this very attractive um, young blonde woman. Uh, but for some reason, he's um, he, he can't sort of uh, satisfy her needs. <laughs> and, and it becomes, it becomes um, pretty obvious towards the end. <laughs> and he's making up all these stories with his brother about, you know, how, how, how she is in bed and things on that, but he's never been there. Uh, can't go there for some reason, um, unable to go there, and then yeah, it's 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 pretty funny. Um, and look, in terms of today's audiences, it probably still stacks up in terms of morality. There isn't certainly show, you know equal sort of gender, and pro probably if anything, it sort of shows shows Bonnie is sort of the one that really drove the whole thing, and Clyde was sort of um, the front man for it, but really didn't have the brains or brawn to to do it on his own. Yeah. I think we have a late joiner coming into the room. Have we? Lovely. Perfect timing. Who, who could it be? Who could it be? Who could it be? Ian Wallace. Welcome, boys. Welcome, my friend. Hello. How was pottery class? Oh, man. Well, it was, it was good. Thank you, fellas. How are you all doing? You well? Yeah, good. good. Yeah. Martin, how are you, Dave? Glenn. Yeah, man. Yeah, we've just been uh, we've just been wasting time till you got here. So it's okay. <laughs> are we recording? So we're still blanking out the F words. We are live. Yes, yes we, we are, are live. live at the moment. Like okay. Four minutes to tell us about how pottery went, mate. Well, sure I can sum your film. All your film. I can I can sum it up real quick. Okay, so uh, you've seen the movie Ghost. Yes. Patrick Swayze sitting behind the sexy woman. Yes. Which one are you? If you? No, if you can imagine 
If you could imagine your grandma sitting behind me. <laughs> There's nothing sexual in it. <laughs> oh, well, better luck next time, buddy. No, no, help yeah. the aged. No, no, it all went well. I'll make you guys a nice pot and then we'll be all right. So how's the uh, reviews going? You're, where are we you're, up to? You're, you are up to your film, ma'am. We've got three yeah. minutes. Go for it. Uh, three, three minutes. Right Boom. Right. No, right. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've got what it all ready down. Look. Bring oh, in the madness. Bring in the madness component. Yeah. Bring in the madness. <laughs> oh, good evening. Uh, welcome, everybody. My uh, movie choice today was the uh, James Bond movie. And uh, I know, just straight switch like that, eh? Yeah, it was so uh, good. Okay, so this was recommended by my dear friend David Chan. Mr. Chan, the host, uh, was the Bond movie, the fifth Bond movie in the lineup, which is called Why Does He Only Live Twice or something? Two Times to Die? Mm-hmm. You only <laughs> live right. twice. I only live twice. <laughs> yeah, this is your favorite one, Martin. It is. Well, it's one of my favourite ones, definitely. Yeah, it's definitely I agree. the best, best uh, Sean Connery one in my mind. Ian, I Ian, agree. Uh, it's one of my faves as well. I'm, I'm going to exercise my, my host um, responsibility and let you know that you don't have to finish it within two and a half minutes. Oh, you, you can guys, make, thank you. There you go, mate. We'll give you a little bit of time on the other side, <laughs> on the B side. Thanks, man. Just yeah, man. Yeah, man. you go. I love you guys. Thanks, man. Uh, so... Uh, do you remember last week we were talking about James Bond? We were. Yeah. I think it's going to be a recurring yeah. theme through this series somehow. Through the. And no, do you remember? I, I was like, I was like, nah, James Bond. He should be like that guy, you know, that that chauvinistic. That's part of it, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, that's well, right. It's in, it's interesting because when you watch that movie from nineteen, what was it 65? 67. And, uh, 67, Thank you. And you you watch that and like. You remember bits, but if you actually go back and watch the whole thing through, oh, yeah, there is a little bit of things not so cool in there, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah just a few. It's, it's a great movie. I love all James Bond movies. Don't get me wrong. I think, yeah. they're, I think they're all awesome. It's the, it's the movie that's got the, um, that amazing score that you mentioned, Martin. Mm. Great music all the way through it. Uh, it's got Nancy Sinatra singing. The title song, boom, beautiful. It's uh, it's a song song that Robbie Williams nicked the nicked That's that little right. part out for the yeah. What was it? Um, was it Millennium? Millennium, yeah. That yeah. we got started in that Millennium. That that's the Robbie well, um, Williams yeah, version. Not, not a fan. Right. Not a fan, eh? Yeah. No, he's Robbie is just rubbish. So um, the screenplay was actually done by Roald Dahl. Did you know that? No way, really. Yeah. Awesome. You... No, I did not know that. Neither did I. So there you go. There's a bit of Roald Dahl stuck in there. It, it only made 111 million. Gosh. Um, yeah, it's not bad for 1967. Yeah. That's, no. that's pretty yeah. bloody good. It's, it, it features a couple of interesting things. I think it may have possibly the first GoPro uh, prototype in there because, yeah, he's, remember he's in the helicopter and he's got the helmet on with a camera? That's right, yeah. 
came from? Yeah. Wow. Little Nelly, the helicopter. Little Nelly. There's a lot of helicopter scenes in this one, isn't there? There's yeah. A lot of, isn't, uh, there, isn't there ninjas in it as well? It's the ultimate movie. I mean, it's got I've, – I've made a little note of everything it's got in it. So <laughs> Volcanoes. Um, volcanoes, ninjas, uh, Japanese wedding, like a traditional one. They actually shot the <laughs> – they did that on purpose as well. Yeah, I know. Really? It's got spaceships. Uh, it's got hot chicks. Bad one-liners. I mean, it's pretty much got everything in there. That you yeah, ever yeah, yeah, yeah. They also have the. Don't they also have the scene in this one where they uh, they turn Bond Japanese, where they give him oh, the disguise and turn him into the spot. It's <laughs> horrendous. It's horrendous. That? It's really bad. <laughs> Yeah. Is it That's borderline true. racist? Oh, oh totally. Right. Totally oh, racist. I can imagine. 100%. I, I'll give you, this is this is straight from the, the racist, how to be racist for dummies, <laughs> how to be racist for dummies book. I mean, this is one of the one-liners in there where James Bond is with one of the ladies, as he always does in, in all the movies, right? And uh, she, ha she happens to be Chinese. And he says, why do Chinese girls taste so different to all other girls? <laughs> Who says that? Oh uh, what else gosh. does he say in there? Yeah. Uh, another great one. I've made a note because I, I nearly choked when I heard these. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I, was eat, I was eating dinner and I was almost choking on my dinner. I was like, whoa. In, Jap in Japan, men always come first and women always come second. Wow, it's. I mean, it's. It, you can't write that stuff these days, can you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's James Bond. Even... James Bond. Is she pretty? His friend says she has a face like a pig. <laughs> I mean, come on. Uh, oh, good thing yeah. it was action packed. <laughs> oh, no, and, uh, but it's, a, it's in terms of action wise, it's really fun. Yeah, isn't well, that the, one, the boat think, chase as well that with the the hang glider comes out? Is that yeah? That? Oh, is that right? It's got the volcano. It's got the the, the non-volcano, the painted volcano. Um, my favorite, my favorite scene in the whole movie is there's a scene where they he's on the rooftops and he's like, like fifty like villains like running towards him <laughs> and he takes them all up one by one. And the camera just kind of pans across the rooftops. And there's this amazing John Barry score going on while this is happening. And it's just like, yeah, that's why he's James Bond. Because he can take yeah. out 50 ninjas just like yeah. karate chop. That's it. You know? I, the guy, <laughs> I mean, I think, I, think, um, I think the thing with James Bond is right. You've got to – it's uh, – it's a journey, isn't it? From the from when they started it, you're going back into times where it was, uh, you know, that's how it was. That was mm. life, right? And um, yeah. and and time, and yeah, sign of the times, bro. And um, you know, you could say that about all sorts of stuff. Jazz music, you know, um, how black musicians were treated different to white musicians, all that sort of stuff. So you, you it's interesting to watch it back, eh? Mate, but, tell uh, you what, in fifty years' time, they'll be digging up a podcast about four jokers on a <laughs> on a Zoom call, talking about themselves <laughs> and how inappropriate Peter, they were. Who do you reckon they'll be having a pop at the most? Yeah, I don't know. 
no idea. Right, moving on then, guys. So we've got some, what are we on now? Albums. Albums, yeah. Yeah. Let's get into the music. So we've got half an hour left. All right. Hand over to, who went first last time? Glenn went first last time. Martin, maybe you. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I've gone with uh, an album that was released in 67, um, and it was a debut album as well. It was their very first album. Uh, by Prokul Harum. Uh, yeah. Um, so they, prior to actually releasing the album, they'd released the single, which was A Whiter Shade of Pale, um, which was huge. Because you're a keyboard player, partly, <laughs> but yes. it's just got this vibe about it as well, right? It does have this vibe about that song. There's something slightly, well, it's got a, gr a great sense of mystery about, it. A bit like the Moody Blues, Nights in White Satin, which also came yeah. out in '67. There's something slightly ethereal and cool in the way that it's recorded. It sounds like it's recorded in a church, but it's actually just a Hammond. It's not a pipe organ. Yeah. Um, Cool man. Mm. Oh yeah. Um and um yeah, it just you know, it floats my boat that album. It's a great album. Um, you know, the other big track on it is a track called Con Conquistador. Um, um which um was kind of the second single and it was a hit as well, but nowhere near as, as big as uh What a Shade of Pell became. Um 
one of the interesting things really when you look at the career of Prokoharam as well was they were quite short-lived short-lived as that original kind of lineup um yeah. they had all kinds of of legal fights um that went on for years and years and years in fact right up until sort of like mid 2000s they were still arguing <laughs> over song rights they ought to be happy they're alive well yeah yeah um <laughs> lawsuits have you Horrendous. guys heard the album that Martin's talking about? Have you are you familiar with all the songs on it? No, no, I'm not. Are you familiar? So are we all? Why so shade of pale? We, yes. we all only know why the shade of pale. Yeah, pretty yeah. Much. You should check so, it. It's cool. It's it, as I say, what? like it's very much a kind of proto prog kind of album. It definitely mm, kind I of starts leading into that, that um, into that prog feel, which you know right. when you can't. It's on the cusp of. With, with Pepper coming out that year and, and Piper and the Gates Dawn and, and the Moody Blues one yeah. as well, it was definitely starting to kind of emerge as a scene. The art rock kind of scene was definitely coming through. Uh, and so I think is it this a mellow one, album? Is it mellow or is there a bit yeah, of a Yeah, but mix? it's got a real, it's got a really cool blues feel to it as well. You know, Robin Trower, I don't know if you know Robin Trower, he's a guitarist. Um, he was a guitarist with the Moody Blues at the beginning as well and went on to kind of um, basically... Um, he set up like a power trio, basically kind of like Cream and, um, oh, and yeah. Hendrix. Um, and he's often kind of thought of in, in those kind of terms, in terms of like his playing prowess as well. Um, a really cool player. Um, and definitely that blues influence comes through more on his solo kind of work. Um, but yeah, you know, um, there's a track on there. I'm just trying to think of the name of it. Um, Good Captain Clack is the name of the track, but it's got it's a real cool, yeah. There's a really cool blues groove to it, um, and um, yeah. But there are some some you know more in that kind of wider shade of pale kind of feel. It's definitely got a, that aura of mystery about it as an album. It's, it's a cool album, and well worth checking out. Awesome. Well, definitely check it out. I checked out your one last week. I really enjoyed that by that uh, lady. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Narina Power. Narina, yeah. Yep. Yeah, first listen, I thought, oh, this is a bit shit, but it's, it's a, bit, a bit different. But then <laughs> yes. actually I left it on run and I actually played it about four times. I quite enjoyed it. Actually, it grows on yeah. you pretty quick. Actually, so real, real quick. That is quite a cool thing, eh? And we can explore that. And then albums that first listen, you went, oh, man, that sucked. And then, yeah. oh my gosh, why did it suck so bad? And it didn't suck eventually. You're like, oh, I've got that totally wrong. Um, well, I, love, and, and, I love an album that grows on you quick, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. yeah. Yeah. It's nice to have an album that sort of smacks you one, but one that kind yeah. of you think, oh, I'll just go back to that. Smacks you, like, find smacks you in a kind of Will Smith kind of way. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh too soon? No. <laughs> It was so funny and bad all at the same time. Anyway, that's not 1967. Yeah. So in 50 years, just like I put it in 50 years' time, like, everyone's going, will who? Will, you know, so, yeah, yeah look it up, kids. <laughs> <laughs> it was a moment for all of all 15 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, who's going next? Oh. Must be, let's mix it up a bit, Mr. Thurston. All right. Um, I'm, I have chosen something a bit different. Did it, did it, and did it, did it, this is the mystery reveal. The oh, back yeah. of the album says, what's in a name? 
success most likely if you pick the right one. And I have picked Engelbert Humperdinck's Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> 12 great songs plus release me please release me let me go for I don't love you Release Me was the UK's biggest selling single of that year. And in the top 10 for the 19th. They were playing that album at the Pottery Club tonight. I bet they were. Now, in New Zealand, and in New Zealand, no, don't laugh. This was no, a big, this is a big album. It's got also the classic 10 guitars on it. Is this the best oh. one? Okay, now, if you've been to any New Zealand parties over our lifetimes, how many times have you been in one where 10 guitars gets pulled out? We play at every wedding. Every Beautiful wedding. Song. Beautiful well, song. Yeah, no, every seriously. Wedding. It is yeah, enormous. It's probably more popular than Release Me. It is enormously massive in New Zealand. Um, Did he write that? No, he didn't write anything. And this is one of the things I actually actually reflected on this. Actually, it, it's bizarrely a wonderfully produced record. His voice is epic on it all the way through. Uh, yeah, exactly. Not, not typically the style that you and I and stuff we listen to. Absolutely not. And one of his quotes around that time was, um, if, you know, being a crooner is something you don't really want to be called. No crooner has the range I have. I can hit notes a bank could not cash. <laughs> I'm what as I'm a contemporary singer, a stylized performer. And, you know, for a guy who was named um, Arnold Dorsey, they chose that name, Engelbert Humperdinck. Um, That's his and he, superpower. His superpower is to croon. And he became Humpy or Hump. <laughs> humpy. Um, humpy, Hump. His fans were... <clears throat> Voracious. In fact, he became the um, 
was it the king of romance during the 70s that was his oh. thing um but yeah what it really showed to me is that yes we're talking about you know these really cool albums that um others are putting together like pepper and piper and proko harlem and all those the doors etc yeah yeah, yeah. All the piece, and yeah. yet yeah yeah that's right and yet there was still this huge market for songs that are really well put together by some amazing songwriters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, real, you know, writing for that market. And that? and that singular voice, a voice that could actually hold those songs and make them epic. It's because good. after all, Release Me was not um, an original or anything like that. It was a cover, an old country song. And then it was turned into this epic song. Even Jimmy Is Page, that the one that goes, please release me, me let, let me That's the one. Yep. Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy, oh. Jimmy Page played on that song. Oh, my God. Stop it. As a session Stop musician. It. Jesus. Wow. So, You're ruining it for me, man. It, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> It's a bit like Jimmy <laughs> Webb and Glenn Campbell, you're, isn't it? Yeah, well, it, it's it, on the on the other side, right? So, yeah, and look, the melody maker of that year, basically, instead of it calling it the year of Pepper or something like that, they called it the year of Engelbert oh, because that God. song was so big. I mean, that album carried him his entire career, still, still, and yet it's still. And for me, it was. This music was always around when I was a kid. Um, you know, um, there was just just kind of looking down the album. list there of like albums that year. I noticed the other one that kind of runs in parallel with that, which is uh, Tom Jones and Had Green Green Grass of Home that year as well. Yeah, so. but do you know oh. they are both by the same management team? Um, both focusing on a particular market. They were they came well. They became superstars, sex stars, the works, hey. Um, gosh, what did Engelbert's wife say that they could wallpaper a room with the number of um, paternity suits against them? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. But it had been a good Catholic. And, have and any yes, of you guys got that? No. <laughs> no. Have you? Martin, you? Martin, you must have. You're a, you're a musician. Know. Come on, man. Hold on. And, I'll, and, I'll just check. Hold on. <laughs> And, and, I'll just and, go into my spare room and have a look. And remarkably, three stuck. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. So it is Jeez. quite funny. The album itself, I put it on this week thinking, oh, I would like to do something a bit more, something a bit different and a bit of a piss take. And it wasn't ended up, it didn't end up being a piss take because of its influence. And I was like, wow, 10 guitars, man, that song's mega huge in New Zealand. And this is where it all started. And um, I remember it just distinctly being on at auntie and uncle's houses and stuff like that. So this, you know, I'm never going to go into Val Doonigan or anything <laughs> like that. God, that sounds horrendous. But you know what? I, I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. I think there's still a place for brilliantly written songs and somebody that can bring the best out of those um, a great vocalist. Um, yeah. But I do think we need to revisit I'm, 1967. Well, I'm speechless. Sticking I'm totally with, speechless. Sticking on that Engelbert topic then, does anybody remember, like, I'm guessing it was late 90s when, like, Beavis and Butthead were kind of doing their thing and they did the Beavis and Butthead movie. Well, Engelbert had a song on the soundtrack. Oh, uh, awesome. The... the slightly provocatively titled Lesbian Seagull, 
is the name <laughs> of the song. Um, check it out. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Lizzie and Seagull is yeah. right next to my um, Pro Tour Harlem recommendation I've got there. <laughs> and and um, look, Ian's choice of, he mentioned it before um, with um, the movie, um, you only, was it? You Only Live Twice, eh? Is that right? Mm -hmm. um, and you have these big singers, you had Nancy, Nancy Sinatra singing that. You still had those really beautifully written songs and people like Shirley Bassey who just sang their heart out on those big songs. And I just was quite cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Can I did, just say so that, did, uh, that, you know, I obviously own a barbershop and for anyone that's listened to our podcast, it's an old mm. if you if you want to come yeah. use it. That's pretty good. Barbers. And uh, since I've been part of it's this amazing podcast, yeah. I have been, I have been playing all your recommendations for the last couple of weeks now i suspect mine client, might be on your list you must be uh, the coolest barbershop in this it's, it's turning turning into the quietest one i'll tell you that with Engelbert, <laughs> especially with Engelbert banging on in the background well i'll tell you what it, 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 his easygoing style and good looks earned him a large following particularly yeah. among women his yeah. hardcore woman fans called themselves the humper dinkers can we just stop right there? Let's. <laughs> you could be doing a lot. Of, you could be doing a lot of blue races this weekend. We're gonna lose our audience. We're Can't lead a good hump. Good but a hump. Well, good you know, if, if you're wanting it, humpy is actually remarkably a good listen. I'll give it a three star for me. Um, well sung and, and no, out of five, I only do five scale. Oh. And, and really great songs. There are really good songs on here, and okay. he sings really okay. well. There we go. Yeah. Beautiful. Didn't, I, I bet you no one would have picked that. No, look, and I don't want to follow that either. Uh, over to you, Ian. <laughs> oh, thanks, guys. That's – that's uh, no, I can, I can easily top that because I – yeah, no, that's all right. I don't really like Engelbert, but that's all right. I, I, played, ten, I played 10 guitars at every wedding. I had a band, a da, da. We do it and, in key of and, and, and does it get it's a result? Every time. It's like Wagon Wheel. They just get straight on the dance that, floor. That song is just so monstrously yeah. big in New Zealand. I get grandmas throwing the knickers at us and all sorts of stuff, man. It's great. Yeah, so and, let's move yeah. on to some real music now. Uh, so <laughs> I've <laughs> no, 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 no. I respect your thing, man. Um, I went hey, for, what did I go for? I, I, don't I, know. I, I, I went for The Doors, self-titled. Yeah. Uh, mm. The Doors, The Doors. Why did I choose The Doors? Because I love The Doors. I just love them. Um, I just love everything about The Doors. I like their music, obviously. I like their style. I like their band. I like what they stood for. There's nothing I don't like about the doors. Uh, and then that went a little bit further to probably slightly just on the verge of freaky, where I started getting a little bit too much into Jim Morrison. And uh, yeah, yeah, I started to buy some of his poetry books. He wrote a couple of poem books, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, they're completely out there and a waste of time. But. Um, <laughs> His, yeah, he was yeah. a bit full of himself, yes. Yeah, well, I, you know, but the, the actual album, um, it was released on the label Electra, 
producer Paul Rothschild, awesome producer. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think it was '67. Actually, was it '67? They wrote it, wrote it, wrote it. Well, whatever the word is. Written. '67 mm-hmm. was when it was released in January. Um, and I don't think there's heaps to really to say about it. I mean, who doesn't know about the Doors, right? Uh, apart from uh, I, yes, awesome. actually, I, I I probably do know quite a generation or two that don't. Um, millennials probably well, don't know. The millennials. So you, the first thing you need to do is go and have a word with yourself, and uh, <laughs> you need to go and buy this album immediately now from yeah from your local record shop. Probably get a second hand one because the doors with a bit of scratches on is pretty good. You like that? Bit of, yeah. yeah. Most of my doors have got scratches on them. Yeah. On vinyl, you know, crank it, get there. Uh, what are they? I mean, Wikipedia puts, I mean, I hate Wikipedia. Don't you just hate this? Puts them down as jazz classical. I mean, what? Really? What? Who writes that? Yeah, jazz classical. Um, oh, that might be their influences, yeah. actually. But, yeah. yeah. You know, you can, like, sign yourself up to be a writer. For yeah, well, I definitely need to change that. They're um, they're a great band. They, they I mean, the um, let's get the song, let's get the track listings on them. Break on through, track number one. Down it, down it, no bass player required. All done on keys. <laughs> what was his What was his name, Martin? Ray. Mr. Ray Manzanak. Manzanak. He's the schnizzle. Yeah. Zero base zero base player required. You know the day destroys a night. Night divides a day. Try to run, try to hide. Break on through to the other side. Chased our pleasures here, dug our treasures there. But can you still recall the time we cried? Break on through to the other side. Break on through to the other side. Uh, track two, Soul Kitchen. Track three, The Crystal Ship, which has been covered recently by a few uh, artists. It's a great song. The Alabama song, uh, Light My Fire. Ah, oh, I mean, you know. Um, it's another monster keyboard song. Oh, yeah. dude. Oh. 
Don't know, yeah, don't know like how it? many times I listen to that solo. I still can't work out how the hell he does it. Like it's the same solo. Yeah. Oh, it's just have you you've seen them perform live and his, and he just sits there and sways his long hair and his arms are going. You know, you must be. Yeah, he's got some issues going on there, right? But he's good. <laughs> I mean, guy's a genius. Um, Backdoor Man, which was actually written by Willie Dixon. Uh, but yep. a great song, a little bit wrong, but who cares? Uh, yep. I Look At You, that's neither here nor there. Um, and then it ends with The End, which for 1967 was an 11-minute song. This is The End. That's a, Beautiful yeah. Friends. And I'm, who I'm writes an 11-minute song in 1967? Uh, uh, Pink Floyd? <laughs> Apart from Floyd. <laughs> <laughs> wrong person to ask. Engelbert Waters. No, no, no. Oh, so yeah, my, so there you go. That's uh, the door self-titled. Go and buy it immediately. Beautiful. That's you know Ian's what? I recommendation. Prob- I probably should actually. I haven't got it yet. Good man, uh, do it now. Man. But it is a classic, and yeah, oh. and it's, it's timeless. Forming. Those riffs are timeless, man. You know, listen to that plane. It's just beautiful. Beautiful. Nice. Yeah, thank you, guys. Over to me now. So I'm going to probably take five minutes on this because we've spoken a lot about peppers on this episode Mm. um, uh, without even intending to. But um, Sergeant Pepper, so everyone knows knows the album, knows who who wrote the songs. Um, What you might not know, though, Fun fact here is that um, fact this was written. Uh, this took about five months to write. Yeah, so this was from about about December '66. I think they went into the studio sometime around late '66, and because it took five months, and back in those days, five months was an eternity, right? Here, five months. If you can bring out an album in a year, you're doing well. But back then, um, the Beatles were being given. You know, they were getting. They were they were copying it from the media. They were being told of. They've passed it, you know, there has been, they've run dry, they've got nothing left in the well. And so EMI were, EMI were um, keen to get something out quickly or, you know, get something out while these guys were in Abbey Road Studios. And so George Martin, and it's the decision that he regrets the most in his career, agreed to release um, Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields Forever as a double A side. Yeah. Single right. Do you know um, what? Do you know what? Do you know which song smacked it and um, prevented it from getting to number one? Oh, not Engelbert, bloody humping. It no. is it's bloody release oh, no mate. Way. <laughs> release oh, mate. Yeah, that guy. Oh. That guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, Engelbert. Double, yeah, d- d- and d- it prevented it. They just, they just couldn't get it because of that. Engelbert beat them on it. And that just shows you he why. Did, he did why. make some of the members later in life. And, um, Apologize. No one raised it. it was for forgiveness. Um, okay. So, yeah. So, fun fact. that um, Because those two songs were meant to be for Peppers. So, um, oh, yeah. they were earmarked oh. to go on Sergeant Peppers. And, of course, David. you know, those two okay. songs are um, one, one's Paul's, one's John's. And they sort of both hark back to their time back in, times back in Liverpool. Oh, yeah. Question, question yeah. for David. What two songs would you drop out of Sergeant Pepper to put in 
Penny Let's Lane do. and Abbey Road. What would you put um, in and what would you remove? I would remove um, when I'm 64. Yes, of I course. I think it's just a bit um, too much of a Nath. novelty, novelty, Nath. Nath, novelty song. Um, so that one's an easy one. The second one, I know a lot of people don't like Lovely Rita or Miss, The Benefit of Mr. Kite. I kind of like them. They're quirky and they're really I catchy. Do too. I and do John's too. really clever. He's doing some clever things. I think fixing a hole. I'd probably I get rid agree. of fixing a hole. I would agree with you on that one too. Yeah, mm. and I'd, I'd put Penny Lane and Strawberry Field. This, this is, this is um, and so you've got, and so the other interesting thing, because I'm not going to talk about the album, because most people should know that. If you don't know the album, go and, go and get the album. It's mm. a good album. I'm not a Beatles, I'm not a Beatles freak like you. you uh, Martin, are you a Beatles freak? Yeah. Oh, so all three of you, <laughs> I am. I am the I'm the fourth member of what we're not the Beatles, but I'm pretty much the George Martin. I'm now I'm, I'm like the Ingle Humberdink of this group of the Beatles of the Beatles. And, 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 so, what, and what? Okay, I've got a question. What do your fans call you? Me? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't really have any fans. I mean, nobody oh. really likes me. Oh. What does your fan call you? <laughs> oh, it's. <laughs> This is we're we're it's a, we're not doing rude words though, are we? We're, we're keeping it. <laughs> no, so uh, so so this hey, get back to the album. So yeah. Strawberry Fields. Yeah. Um. Sorry, what's the album again? So Sergeant Pepper's oh, Lonely Sergeant Pepper's band. This little, little thing that what's, came out that year. What's the it band? Was, it was it was the alter ego of the Beatles. They decided that stuff touring they've had a guts full of it they couldn't hear themselves when they're playing live let's just go into the studio and make right. an album a concept yeah. album based on it now alter ego let's come up with um a stupid name they came up with sergeant pepper's lonely hearts club band they dressed in edwardian floral oh, yes. psychedelic colored clothes yeah. so um, the pastor jingly jangly stuff they're actually yeah, writing some deeper mm, stuff are they yeah, no 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 ian you're missing you're missing Rubber Soul and Revolver, dude. Yeah. Go get those now. There's a few. Well, what's okay? What's the first Beatles album I should buy? Revolver. Revolver. Probably Revolver. Yeah, yeah. You can't go too wrong there. One and of those is decent. And, and, and Revolver Rubber and Rubber Soul. Yeah. Yeah. Those yeah. two albums. Right. There you yeah. go. Now we've got my, my wife's from one. Um, her favorite is Rubber Soul. I speak for all the non-Beatley people. Revolver yeah. and Rubber Soul. Yes. Okay. Can't go wrong. I shall check yeah. it out. Rubber Soul was my first Beatles album I ever heard. That and Please Please Me. And it was just mind-blowing. What year are those? Albums. Please what? Please Me was 63 and Rubber Soul must have been about 65. Yes. Oh, quite a lot later. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but fun fact before I sign off on, on this. Um, so this was recorded in, what did I say? Took about five months. Um, while they're in the studio, Abbey Road at the time had Studio A, Studio B. Studio A went to the Beatles and they basically just um, 24-7 had Studio A for five months straight while they were recording Sergeant Peppers. Wow. Studio B had um, one uh, group you might have heard of called Pink Floyd and they were <laughs> making Piper at the Gates of Dawn and and because of the way it sort of works, there's a there's a morning session, an evening session. 
Pink Floyd got, um, I understand the morning, afternoon session and evening, the zombies came in and they were recording Oracle and Odyssey. Wow. Mm-hmm. And all three albums that were coming that were being worked on at Abbey Road Studio are all in the top 500, uh, what is it, Billboard or whatever it is. Top mm-hmm. 500. No, Rolling Stone, sorry, Rolling Stone top 500 albums of all time. All I'd imagine in six month period. I'd imagine neither, none of those three are in that lower end of that 500 either. They're all going to no, be they're, they're towards the top end. Um, yeah. From the, yeah, and uh, and the Beatles is number one. So Ian, Ian, Sergeant Peppers is oh, the, number did one. They rate, did they rate Pepper as number one? Number one is Sergeant Peppers. This is on the, no uh, the Rolling Stone. Yeah, back in two thousand three. Oh, less Guess who's number two? I don't know. One of your favourites. It's not Inglebert Humperdinck. No. <laughs> yeah. Pet Sound by the Beach Boys. Oh, yeah. 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 It certainly reflects its time. There's, yeah. Oh, lists are bizarre. That, do you know what? I think a list is there just to provoke conversation, to sell copies and to get clicks. That's so, they're good at that. They're brilliant. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, all of that stuff is, is just, uh, yeah. I'm going to drop a little controversial bombshell here. I actually yeah. prefer the Sergeant Pepper's reprise to the original. I think it's awesome. I that love it. Gu- that grungy guitar that kicks it's in. The it's, drum. it's the drum. It's the drum at the start of it. Yeah. That drum sounds like it was recorded yesterday. Ah. It's insanely yeah. cool. I've never thought yeah, of it like that. Oh yeah, it's there's that really, there's that really grungy guitar that kicks in, and it sounds yeah. so cool. I love it. So I started watching the Beatles documentary last night. Which one? Get Back. I haven't watched that yet. And everyone, anyway, everyone I know has seen it like eight years ago, or whatever. And it came out a year ago, whatever. But, I haven't seen so, it. Uh, yeah, and I'm I'm not a I'm not a massive Beatles fan. I like their music, and I totally respect and appreciate. Man, what they did for the world of music, right? And what they got—they did everything. They changed everything. They—they, they, they, yeah, they're amazing. But um, actually, observation watching that documentary was my first observation. If you've not seen it, um, yeah. So Paul is David. You mentioned this. Paul's like the—he's the real kind of driver, right? He's come on, guys. He's talking to them. We need to yeah. get some stuff together here. John's pretty chill and, and getting on with it. He's having a bit of fun and he's obviously super talented. George, he's a little bit, bit like a, you know, a bit of a wet whistle, really. He sort of sits there and doesn't want to and, be a bit um, anymore. George just wants to be Eric Clapton. And um, he's got a ton of songs up his sleeve that they don't want to hear. Man, but he's yeah, pretty he, much all of um, they, all things that like goes. They're going and through then, the motions at that point. And then I. Then I see uh, Ringo, and uh, you know Ringo. I've never rated him as a drummer, 
But oh, he's, I disagree you know, with that. <laughs> yeah, right. That's all right. You're allowed. And so it depends on there. how it depends on what you're looking for in a drummer. No, nah, that's all right. You're you're allowed, man. It's cool. But he's got he's he's there in the background, right, whacking it away. But mm-hmm. I think to myself, what I'm getting to is what I think to myself, right? Mm-hmm. When Martin when Martin says he listens to the reprise and he's like the drums, right? When I watched a certain point of that documentary, I thought to myself. I wonder if they had a more inspirational kind of player, drummer, would that have, would they have come out with some real? Because through that documentary, he's not really inspiring at all. It's, no, but it's he's clearly yeah. John and Paul. You know, because uh, a drummer, a drummer's integral, right? A drummer can really change your band dynamic. Mm. You stick a, a good drummer, and it changes everything. Well, I was, like watching a, I, was, I was watching a documentary uh, thing the other day with Dave Grohl after Taylor's passing. And um, he was saying that not, not long ago, he was watching the Get Back documentary and he was paying all the way through. He couldn't take his eyes off Ringo. Because when you watch it, like Ringo's just like, come on, guys, let's just play a song. Let's just do a song. You can see he's etching to actually go. And it's the other three that are stopping the music from happening in that respect with the arguments and stuff. He doesn't, yes. he always kind of takes that step back in terms of that, you know. He yeah, doesn't well, really get into the averages. His, his personality wasn't that way. Yeah. But, then you, but then, you have a guy like, then you have a guy like Paul McCartney saying, oh, we're going to do this song. Why don't we, why don't, and he's talking to Ringo going, why don't we go on the, like, on the symbol, da, 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 ba, 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 ba. And, and he's talking about it, coming in on the first beat instead of like your normal rock beat. And I can't remember what song it is, but and it's like Get Back that's got that. It's not a chat, right? But the way Ringo comes across on that documentary is very, very much like 4 4, sit down, play a rock beat. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I just that just popped in my head. If they yeah. had a different drum, was he the original drummer? Yeah. Oh, well, no. yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it, yes, it, the one, yeah, basically, yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah. It's the original proper drama for them. Yeah. But yeah, you got to remember they were 20, what, 29. They'd been through that trauma of the Beatles. And let's, awesome. let's be fair, it probably was trauma. Mm. Um, and, you know, for most of them were just wanting to cut loose and go and do something else. They've been hanging together in a rooms together since they were 15 or whatever it was. Mm. So... I can see why they wanted to play with new people and go and do other things, and who can begrudge them that? Um, Ian, but yes, that was sad, but it is what it is. Have you got up to the part where Billy Preston comes on the scene, Ian? No, I'm just at the oh, end yeah, of so part one. Without yeah. spoiling it for anyone else that hasn't seen it. Um, Thanks, David. Wait, wait till you get to that, mate. It's I know quite... Billy Preston's an amazing keyboard player, right? Yeah. yeah. Who did he, who did he play with? Um, oh, gosh. Um, Little Richard Ray Charles wasn't he Ray, oh, Ray Charles? Charles? Yeah, I think you're right. You got to be pretty good to play with that guy. I agree. Okay. You don't have to look much, but you got to. So the keyboardist says the day again. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, oh, it's late. Nice one. That's... <laughs> All right. Well, it's a good well, place to um. On that bombshell. Yeah, I think I think we will have to revisit 1967 at some point. Yeah, I think uh, Glenn's right. It's just so much. 
a cornucopia of music, right? An amazing year. So yeah, but uh, yeah, well, we we've still got minute one minute and twenty. What year next year? I don't think it's Ian's choice, right? I agree. Yeah. Ian. Yeah. Ian's yeah. choice. Ian's I, I was going to try and sorry. plug in the vocoder for this, but I can't do it. I was going to try and do it in a, ro in a robot voice. So Quick. I'm going to do 1982. 1982. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Okay, 1982. Cool. Some interesting yeah. stuff was going on there. We were alive. Yeah, we were alive. We were all alive. We were all alive. Yes. And are you going to host it, mate? I'll host it. I'll be the hostess with the mostest. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Love it. Excellent. 1982. Nice. Oh, yeah. Woke up, fell out of bed, dragged a comb across my head. Now they know how many holes it takes to fill the album. Oh. 